if women and girls don't feel safe to move independently using everyday movement, then that restricts their choice in where they go. So this is about enabling people to be able to access their local area in any form they want and feel safe, confident to do so. Hello, I'm Eve Holt, Strategic Director for Greater Manchester Moving. Welcome to Series 2 of the Right to the Streets edition of the Dear Moving podcast. There are things that we can all do to create safe, joyful and welcoming streets, parks and public spaces where all women and girls feel they belong and are invited to be active. Together with GM Moving colleagues, I've been working with people and partners in Trafford, Greater Manchester, to do just this. We live here, our families are here, and we want this to be a safe space for our children to grow up as well. You'll hear from lots of the people and partners involved, including local citizens, community leaders, politicians, commissioners, sports organisations, artists, comms experts, facilitators, performers, and many others, who've all been playing an active role as part of a whole system approach to women's safety, shifting the dial from fear to freedom. In this episode, we explore different locally designed and led walking, wheeling and cycling activations in the local area and look at how these support people to connect with one another and the places around them. Increasing levels of participation, the strength of social networks, the sense of community and individual confidence, all of which contributes to women and girls' feelings of safety on the streets and their freedom to travel around without fear. So in this episode, we hear from a couple of people who've been really busy facilitating this work in Trafford over recent months, and they'll explain why it was so vital to incorporate such walking, wheeling and cycling interventions as part of the Right to the Streets approach. And they'll explain the number of ways we've made this happen, including the design of walking and cycling routes, more on that later, and of course, the impact and the legacy. We hope it leaves you inspired. Joining me is Louise and Philippa. I'm Louise, I'm the Strategic Lead for Walking and Active Environments at GM Moving, and I've been working to support the Right to the Streets work for the last year, and I'm working alongside Philippa on the walking, wheeling and cycling work. As Louise said, I'm supporting the activation of the walking, wheeling, cycling as part of Right to the Streets. So let's start with some jargon busting. I ask Philippa what we mean by walking, wheeling and cycling activation. Really quite the mouthful. So a question we get asked a lot is around what exactly do we mean by walking, wheeling and cycling? And maybe the walking is self-explanatory. But when we talk about wheeling, we're talking about prams, buggies, pushchairs, wheelchairs and maybe walking aids with wheels. So the wheeling is any kind of movement at sort of walking pace and then cycling. And the activation part is about enabling walking, wheeling, cycling to be accessible to as many people as possible um, in as many different ways and, and really supporting that active travel piece. And as ever in this series of the Right to the Streets podcast, we want to lay out the why for you. Why did we decide to build this into the work? Walking, wheeling and cycling was built into the work because it is a fundamental way in which we use public space. And as soon as we step outside our front door to go anywhere, we have choices about how we move. And in particular for this initiative, 
if women and girls don't feel safe to move independently using everyday movement, then that restricts their choice in where they go, what they access, and that might be cultural opportunities, it might be uh, social activities, it might be other ways to move more, you know, a yoga class, a, a, a football session at the park. So this is about enabling people to be able to access their local area in any form they want and feel safe, confident to do so. And so the work of this element of the right to the streets is to help encourage uh, and inspire confidence for people to know where they feel uh, able to walk. So we want people to be able to have the freedom to navigate our streets and public spaces. Let's go back to that point of activation. Like, what does that look like and how does that help to create a greater freedom? Well, it was really important for the Right to the Streets work that we've been doing to ensure that we were really meeting the needs of what the community wanted so that activation actually helps something happen but it's not top down it's very much community driven so that's part of the activation so it's activating and enabling people to have a voice in what they have to share their needs and their wants along with some of the things they perhaps don't want and for right to the streets to be able to facilitate that and help that happen within the community We undertook quite a big community consultation. It was an event. It was really well attended, a very broad range of community members, community groups, a few statutory organisations, some individuals who were interested. And some of the desires and wishes and the consultation proved that some of the activation was going to be fairly simple. It was about people knowing more about what was available and providing that in a format that was accessible to them, right through to knowing where they can go, when they can go, people that they could go with, whether it was about feeling safer in places that are trusted So people having more information about cycling, looking after their own bikes, being able to have ownership of that, working with local schools, local community groups, open spaces to really dive deep into what people want and then work with those community organisations that can make it happen. And just to build on that, the plan we developed from that insight included therefore some of that short-term quick win stuff but also we developed some partnerships that will take things beyond the end of September when the right to street funding ends but continues the legacy of the work so we've got some immediate actions around visibility but also some developing some assets and ongoing groups and resources that can enable people to continue to move more every day through walking winning and cycling. So can you give us some examples of some of the things then that you've you've done as a consequence? I know there's been there's been maps, there's been rides, there's been all sorts of things. So go on, tell us who you've been working with and what have they been doing? So um, an example from a community group we've been working with, Be Pedal Ready, and they have facilitated some women's cycling mechanic workshops that have been really popular. So not only have women and girls been enabled to access information and practical support on looking after and maintaining their bikes, but actually connecting and making those networks within the community. So we've also worked with a local community group to develop some walking, wheeling and cycling maps in the local area, which will be readily available hard copy and downloadable too. And what we're hoping is the more people go, the more people that access these, the safer and more joyful these places will be to visit. 
Brilliant. Can you tell us more about the, the maps, Eloise? So like, what is it that's different about the, the maps that you've been creating with local groups and residents? Well, firstly, the routes were developed by people who live in and are familiar with the area. And so those little shortcuts, the patches and pockets of green spaces, they are brought to the fore through the routes that have been selected uh, or, or identified. And I think if, if I might have done it from the middle of Greater Manchester using Google Maps, I might have chosen a different set of routes and there would be no connection to place. The second thing is that those maps were developed by women with women and girls in mind. And the testing of the routes when they were first produced, the draft, happened by a, a series of varied community members, different conference levels, different ages. So changes have been made around usability from a gendered lens, and that should be reflected in the final map. And the third thing is, you know, it's just the principles of involving people in the outputs and the solutions for creating you know everyday movement helps people to talk about it and to spread the word and own it so for example sue who was with us on uh, saturday testing the cycle routes she went home via one of the uh, roads that we tested having never been down that route before because she knew that it was a quiet way there was a park at the end and it took her to a shortcut to where she lived in Stratford so that is as a result of being involved in the project and we can extrapolate that multiple times across many individuals and that's the power of the work. That is indeed the power of this work Lou designing testing and delivering community projects and initiatives with the people that are going to be using them and continue to use and enjoy them long after we've gone. So let's leave Louise and Philippa for a little while because I wanted to check out for myself and for you what actually went into testing these maps, like checking milestones, the clarity of the instructions and if the arrows point in the right way. We're on our bikes on one of the hottest days of the year with Louise again and her pal Sue, who Louise mentioned just before. Hi, I'm Louise. Uh, I work for Greater Manchester Moving and I commissioned Love Old Trafford as a community organisation who knows this area, who can develop some route maps for us. My name's Sue. I'm a local resident uh, from Stratford, not too far away from this beautiful uh, Hollard Park in Old Trafford. As a local resident, and uh, well, I'd call myself a former cyclist. I used to cycle quite a lot when I was younger. I've noticed quite a difference in terms of the experience of cycling in and around Old Trafford and my area quite significantly since my cycling days. The way I use my bike at the moment is, is to get from A to B and what I'd like to experience is some alternative routes around Old Trafford and the surrounding areas, get to know a bit more about the wildlife, the green space and the routes that connect perhaps areas that I'm not as familiar with and that I can explore after work. At weekends I can invite my family to join me by testing this route. I'll be able to bring them along as well. Having the maps means that I'll feel confident about where I'm going. It'll be interesting today to see how navigation goes with the maps, so that'll be quite useful. But I think my perhaps my experience today will be useful in terms of being not the most confident cyclist in trying to kind of observe obstacles or perceived obstacles that confident cyclists might not observe because they cycle a lot more often. So I'm hoping that my experience today will contribute towards the development of the overall project and and perhaps opening up more cycling routes in my area in future. 
So we've got some maps. You're going to get these out now, Louise. It's looking yeah, cool. Very exciting. We have some maps and we have some route descriptions on the other side. So we've commissioned three different maps, uh, a set of maps. This one we're testing today is one of the three cycling routes and so there will be a cycling map in and around Old Trafford. You can get a bit further on the bike, so one map for the whole of the right to streets area and surrounding. So we've got Salford Keys just over there, the waterways, using the canal which has been highlighted as somewhere that women in particular are a bit nervous about using but if they knew it was nicer you might do or there was a route that had been tested and was aimed at them so some of that has been incorporated and we wrote a brief asking for community groups who with knowledge of the area to say please can you help us to design routes that showcase the area and perhaps places that people don't know take people to the green spaces the blue spaces or points of interest or things around here so for example today we will pass uh, a mural of Mary Earps or we will pass uh, you know the Lancashire County Cricket Club and and the football ground or the waterways goes past uh, the Lowry and and other points of interest so showcases the area and shows how it connects and we have some questions that the Old Trafford have asked users to think about uh, the testers sorry so um, you know can can the map be followed is it clear you know does it make sense First of all, to look at the map, you know, is it obvious where we are and where we start from and where we go? And then, you know, reading the first descriptions of the route. Okay, so do we know where to go? Start in Hollard Park. Check! <laughs> yeah, and we'll go from there. Um, so it'll be exciting. So we'll, we'll test that out, make sense of it, and then hopefully be able to put the map away, cycle, and then look at the next point, you know, uh, without having to keep an eye on it. And we've already made some changes to the design. For example, putting the Metrolink line on as a reference point because it's referenced in the route, but it wasn't there. And I know from other testers, other things have come out. So, for example, someone has suggested, which way is the city centre? Maybe it'd be useful to put that on the map. So those sorts of comments that help people who aren't familiar with the area to interpret it will be, is currently being collated and will be fed in uh, on Monday ready for the final version. Brilliant. And when we did some of the walkabouts of Open Data Manchester with local people, this was quite a common issue, wasn't it? People talked about routes and about maps and about wayfinding and that piece that you talk about, how difficult it can be to orientate yourself, particularly if it's dark, if you're somewhere that's maybe a little bit less familiar, and if you're feeling anxious as well, I think there's something around, if you are having a heightened sense of anxiety for whatever reason, naturally we find it harder to kind of get our bearings and be confident. So all of those things have kind of, well, I guess led to this sense, of it? Well, this is something we should do that hopefully will make a difference. So we've, this is today's route, is it? So go on, tell us, yeah. talk us through this route and this map. We're testing the route called Hidden Corners, and it's taking us from Hollard Park, where we are, goes through Seymour Park, is going past Old Trafford, through Nansen Park in Gorse Hill, and down to Victoria Park in Stretford, and then back by some quiet ways in Stretford uh, through Longford Park, and then back up the segregated cycleway. That's what it looks like on the map. We'll see what the description says. Uh, and it's been difficult for the uh, route designers to put enough in to guide people and say, you know, here and there, but without 
cluttering up. There's not enough space on the map to write every detailed turn. Mm. So it's that balance. So we're just discussing, um, you know, maybe you could say keep cycling until you get to the pub. And maybe if one were local, you'd know. But if you didn't know, at least you'd know to look out for a pub and that might be useful. Or other landmarks like that, that means you don't need the detail of the turn-by-turn directions don't need to keep referencing the map but perhaps it will help us I just need to keep going until I see this landmark then I turn left there's some real dilemmas aren't there in this so there's that point around avoiding cluttering a map which makes it really hard to understand or missing out on key landmarks and then the challenge is, if you're going to note key landmarks, that looks so different to everybody. So I think we've noticed there's kind of, there's, there is a gendered perspective and that women have told us that the things that they maybe look out for, notice, pay attention to, are often different. Maybe what um, men and boys might notice and pay attention to. But then within that, it depends on your age, depends on how you relate to that place, um, depends on your own preferences. Do you go to the pub or not? Is that something you'd even, you know, consider to be for you? Um how on earth are you even going about trying to work out which landmarks to put on the map? Well, I think that's uh, something for us to have in mind as we go around today um, and having several ideas on that, feeding it in. And it's why there are several testers for each route. It is a challenge and we won't be able to cover everyone. And I guess we're hoping some themes come out and some, some sort of consensus. But it will be a balance. Fantastic. So let's get going. I'm looking forward to this route. We've got seven parks that we're going through. That's wow. pretty cool, isn't it? In, less, in a seven-mile route, wow. so that's good. Seven miles, seven parks. Let's get going. OK, let's go. Great. After a quick map check, we're on the move to the next point on the map, a short ride away, just over a few quiet streets to the next park, Seymour Park. Oh, so here we are, Seymour Park, park number two of seven. Uh, I thought that was a nice little quiet road route down Water Street into Seymour Park. Yeah, nice, uh, well, actually lovely tree-lined streets, um, lots of children playing about, and a fantastic welcome into the park by two stunning trees mm. as you enter. Right, where are we off to? We're going to turn right into Ayres Road, cross Seymour Grove and then continue to Old Trafford Tram Stop okay. on Ayers Road. That sounds good. Um, I did act an extra couple of sentences, a couple of words onto that route description. But So through this park, let's work out which direction. So we've come in here, we're going to turn left and onto Ayers Road. Okay. Over the lights and then get to there. Sounds straightforward enough. I think this stretch is a bit longer. Um, and when I read first version of the route I did add some extra detail including crossing over Seymour Grove getting to naming the tram stop so look out for that mm. I think and that was a very yeah, residential stretch isn't it it's not like there's anything big no. or different particularly <laughs> to, uh, to notice no. but I think, for, I think for the start of the route um, it's fantastic to go from almost virtually from one part straight into another yeah of course, people might be using these routes just to go on a ride on their own. They might be going with 
you know, family member or friend or a neighbour or a colleague. Um, but we also imagine they might be used by some people going out more as a group and going out yeah. for a bit of a group ride. So actually a start like that is really welcome, isn't it? Because that just gives mm. you, I know if you're leading a group, that was a really nice, gentle way of one starting in a park. Yeah. So the first bit, you can kind of get a sense of how confident people are, how comfortable on their bikes. Are the bikes actually fitting properly? Is there anything that needs any work doing? Any kind of adjustments that needed? So to do that in a park like is a great start and then to have those kind of quiet residential roads before as you say we hit something which is actually going to be a bit more daunting yeah i think that's a good point the other thing i mean this particular route we're about to have a cut through across the tram if you didn't know this area and you didn't have this map you might not know that you could cut across that tram route where we're about to go and reach the other side of the of the patch the old traveled area with you know you, you might not know of this mm. and go ah oh, wow can do this and again there's parts of it you may think I might not want to do at night but again as a group ride or during the daylight you know hopefully this map and the fact that it's been tested by women for women might give people confidence right let's go the next move is a slightly busier you can hear the main road in the background and there's a tricky right hand turn which might not be suitable for less confident cyclists so together we stop and look at the map to see if any changes can be made to make that journey just a little bit easier. But we realise that, well, mistakes do happen and that's okay. So that was a little bit more challenging, wasn't it? So between Seymour Grove Park and now being by Old Trafford Cricket Ground. Um, main road, right turn, you know, a few things that were a bit different. I get the impression you're thinking that maybe actually they will be designed out of the route. We made an error. We left the left the park on the wrong exit, so we shouldn't have done the right turn, which is my fault. So that won't that isn't in the route. And that's the point, really. Even with the best route map and the best of plans, we all end up going slightly off them from time to time. Yeah. And it's probably something in the top tips around the kind of it's okay, breathe. These moments will happen. So yes, we ended up doing a right turn we didn't intend. Do you know what? I, other people end up doing the same thing. So you can attempt to design those things out as you have done and try and make it as easy as possible and avoid things like right turns, which are notoriously, unfortunately, on our roads, tricky. Um, but it's also just reminding people, I suppose, that actually if that happens and you find yourself you've gone wrong, it's OK. And, and that's where those landmarks are helpful because that can reorientate you again to back to where you are um, and pause and breathe. <laughs> Yeah, and the good thing about this is you could see we're heading to Old Trafford Cricket Ground. You could see that ahead of you. You knew you were going the right direction because there it was in front of you, the big mask. As you said, you can see the cricket ground. If you look up, that might sound like a silly little thing, but actually quite often what happens is people kind of get stuck into looking right in front of them. And there's a bit of a reminder about sometimes looking up and looking around you to kind of notice what it might be outside of your immediate peripheral vision as well. And then you might go, oh, wait a minute, I can see the stadium. <laughs> I know where we're we going. I think that's a really, a really good point in terms of kind of trying to follow a map is that, um, yes, we did turn outside the park prematurely. We had to take a right turn, however... The, the point at which we had exited the park, we could see the cricket ground. So it gives you a bit, bit of confidence in terms of referencing a, a quite significant semi-aerial landmark um, that meant even though we did, we did lose focus a little bit at that point, we still know where we're headed because it's in plain sight. So in orienteering speak, there's actually a term for that I learned, which is heads-up navigation. 
because it's such a common thing, whether you're walking in an urban area, in the countryside or on your bike, people are so prone often, particularly if you've got a map, to get heads down and that constant reminder to lift your head up, which obviously helps orientate yourself. But also, it's that joyful bit, isn't it? If we have our heads up, we take the time to notice, we can enjoy being in the moment and noticing our place and discovering uh, what there is about this, these green trees, you know, the, the skyline, um, how things look and feel, and sometimes we don't take the notice of that. And that's the difference between a leisure ride with friends in a group and taking our time and commuting, going to getting from A to B to go to work or, or whatever that may be. Though I'd obviously say you can combine both. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you would say that. Yeah. Joy on the journey. Joy on the journey. Off we go. Where's our next walking. joy coming from? We've only left the railway Railway bridge thing. and we're hitting park number three, which is Nansen Park. Okay, let's head there. Okay. We're crossing Old Trafford Metrolink. There's Cricket Garden in front of us. That's a very visible sign. Love yeah. So get here it says cross the tram tracks at Old Trafford Metrolink station pass Old Trafford cricket ground on your left we're on 0.4 now turn left before the railway bridge onto railway road I think there's another road to cross in there but anyway yeah essentially we're turning left before a railway bridge like I say it's this compromise that we can't fit every dot and comma in a big urban area so the landmark is Railway Bridge, yeah, turn left. Until you hit the Railway Bridge. Railway Bridge, turn left before the Railway Bridge. Straight forward. So does that work for us? That's the test. And it's lovely, because here we've got the fairly recent mural of Mary Earps, obviously following her awesome performance as a goalie uh, in the women's final recently and also the freshly newly painted bollards on the street which has been done by Gorgeous Gorse Hill as part of their Right to the Streets project and one of the comments that we kept hearing over and over again from local residents when we talked to them about this space was how this road in particular suffers from the fact that people come into the game it's not a place that they're necessarily part of the community and what they tend to do frankly they come and they'll piss on the walls around here and obviously that's not very pleasant for residents that live here it's also not very pleasant for people generally who are passing through and that then have to experience you know already often large crowds of men which they might find particularly kind of maybe intimidating might make them kind of anxious but also you know if men are going to be urinating over a place it doesn't create a sense of safety welcome and certainly doesn't create a sense of, of joy and invite you to be active there because it, it's just becomes a cesspit doesn't it absolutely and they've already done some work on this with the um signs on the alleyway gates there uh saying you know hey this i play here and there's stories of children trying to make bring the human side to this but to your point Eve, you know not everybody reads that notices so having extra color you can obviously see that's designed by children um and it's fabulous to see it the project all elements of the project come to life so we've got arts connecting with our cycle routes uh it's lovely so hopefully it'll make a real difference we'll have to come back and find out won't we thanks both that was brilliant enjoy the rest of your trip thank you bye bye Bye. Bye. wow 
There are so many things to consider when designing cycle and walking routes, especially with a gendered lens. From checking most obvious things, like if the routes are following the correct path, to noticing less obvious things, like what do landmarks mean for different people. It's time for me to leave Louise and Sue and let them carry on testing the rest of the route on their own. Let's join Philippa and Louise again and pick back up on our walking, wheeling and cycling activation chat. I asked Philippa why the actual design of the map was also done with the end user in mind. When we talk about a route map, sometimes that can really phase people and not everybody's comfortable using a map. So the actual design of the map and the information on it has really had the the target group in mind. So it's a very user-friendly map. Also part of our plan was that the, the route maps themselves wouldn't need any literacy levels to follow. So we hope and we're pretty confident that whatever literacy levels, whatever languages, that that side of the map is accessible. And the reverse of the map provides lots of information and points of interest around the area. So those maps provide a a, a far greater resource than just the route itself. And I think that's been really key in terms of producing a resource that will have some longevity, but maybe it will enable people to feel more confident following routes, following maps. It could just be the introduction that somebody needs um, in order to access some of the other resources that might already be out there. Great. And there's been a lot of iterations, haven't there? (laughs) It it has been quite a task. Um, But we believe that the end result is absolutely what the community were asking for. They, They were wanting new ideas for routes, knowing where to go, information about what to do, something that's on their doorstep, something they can access with different abilities, different amounts of time available within different groupings. And we really hope that these maps, having been designed with the community, tested with the community, have really hit that mark. So having that two phases of community involvement, that is key and we've stuck to that, but it has meant that the timescales have been a challenge and it also generated those variety of iterations So whilst that's a strength, the learning really is that if you are involving people, which is the absolute right thing to do, we just need longer to, you know, make sure there's shared understanding, you know, and the translation. And we've talked about potentially in the future audio versions and recording Mm. or sound bites. It's all, again, ongoing. We've, We've got a starting point and depending on the appetite and the demand from the community, there are things that there's potential for future development. But then we've also worked with the statutory organisations to really promote some of the safety aspects that people brought up in the consultation about access to safer streets and roads around schools. We're working with some local primary schools. We're looking at a legacy generationally. So we're looking at some ditch the stabiliser courses for children, but the parents need to be in attendance. So there's two generations engaging in that joyful let's get rid of the stabilizers and and let your child ride and working in tandem with the new routes that have been developed will enable those children and those families to get out on their bikes maybe the parents will be walking and the children will be cycling so it's all about that everyday movement and choices so we've worked with lots of different organizations to create a real broad range of changes and differences that we hope will have a real lasting legacy across the area. Great, so we might continue to evolve and develop as we go. Fab. Any kind of surprises along the way or any 
aha moments, I suppose, you'd want to mention? In terms of the whole walking, wheeling and cycling activation, I think for me in that initial consultation, some of those aha moments were actually the ask from the community was some of the quite simple stuff that perhaps sometimes gets overlooked and we can sometimes get bogged down in the complexities of organisation and delivery and that's not what this is about. So for me, it was about stripping it right back and getting some of the basics right without complicating everything that that we could have dived in if we hadn't had that community consultation. The other element that has been great to see is that through the community grants that Traffic Community Collective has managed, a lot of the community organisations have picked up on walking and and developed themed or uh, different type of walking opportunities. So, for example, there's a sound walk that's connected uh, the Blue Sky Wellbeing Centre through Old Trafford Creative Arts and then into a walk. Or one of the groups has, has particularly chosen to use the canal as a route because women wouldn't use it on their own. This particular women's group has said, let's go use it and we'll see what it feels like to be here and build our confidence uh, and perhaps people can continue to go out in twos and threes. There's a um, new GP-connected walking group in Gauls Hill that's been established. So some of that has been funded organically and led and being funded through the community grants as part of the Right to the Streets work. And there's been a lot of overlap, hasn't there, with the the community arts projects as well, where a lot of those have created streets, art and murals and walking trails and processions. So again, that overlap between what you might describe as activation and walking, cycling, wheeling, you know, often overlaps with things that people might put in the kind of creative arts culture element of a place. Yeah, and we worked um, hard with the organisation that supported the development of the maps. We shared the right to the streets funded art projects to see how many of those can be woven into the roots so it really is about celebrating what was pre-existing and some of the newer installations and murals that have been developed as part of right to the streets to really start celebrating that as well so there definitely has been an overlap and that's one of the pluses of really positive partnership working where what has been done has not been done in silos and in isolation but it's been very much joined up you know, we were determined this project wasn't just about safety. So that whole joy of the journey. I think the visibility element, so that's the, the colour, the, the mules, the arts, but also the people using spaces to get them, see them, dwell them. And when we all see more people using a space, we feel safer in it. And so we're more likely to use it. If that happens in up to a point, more people generally feel safer. And then that we've described the embedding and the integration of existing community groups and activity, the new stuff, and then the potential of further stuff being developed because people know each other. Uh, Verity, our community connector, has done a great job at making connections across the area, across a range of groups, and using the right to the street themes and some of the new opportunities developed to forge those relationships. And that won't go away. I think there's also something really key about we often hold information in our heads and individuals hold a lot of knowledge and what came through from talking to the community was the importance of sharing that in an accessible space so what we've tried to do with the walking wheeling and cycling activation is to to look at the good practice that 
already exists and um, some of the initiatives that other organisations might have done. So whether that's the bike library, whether it's the barrel bike charging points, things that were pre-existing, but bringing them to the fore under right to the streets to really raise the profile of some of the good practice that's already going on and to really connect that up. And I think that's what creates a really cohesive community where everybody hopefully knows everything that's happening and it doesn't just sit in a few individuals' heads. Great. So I have a more of a pitch now of what we mean by activation. So this has included signposting to stuff that already exists, like bike libraries, as an example. Having more of these kind of led walks and rides, people having the opportunity to train up to know how to fix and maintain their own bike, weaving in all the things around kind of murals and walking trails and things that you can see around your place and designing these route maps, this this wayfinding that people can kind of know how to navigate and find nice routes that are good for I guess is there anything anything we've missed in that list? I think the other connection is probably with Trafford Council. Uh, there's a, a walking, wheeling, cycling officer, Lizzie Goff, and she's been great at, at helping us to connect the work that has been led through GM Moving and with the community in an isolated patch, but also taking that into the whole of Trafford, connecting it to Trafford's Trafford Moving strategy, connecting it to the walking, wheeling cycling strategy that Trafford have and also to ensure that the services she commissions such as the Wheels for All inclusive cycling hub at Stratford Leisure Centre including supporting the school streets that we referred to those things are embedded so the Trafford Council link both through Lizzie Goff for the walking wheeling cycling but also the policy team through Dom and Emma it's really important to ensure the sort of legacy and some of the principles of of this work in particular are taken forward. So any particular challenges that we've not referenced that have bumped into on the way? Time is always something that we wish we could have more of and there's always that acknowledgement that sometimes your own time scale may not fit, particularly when you're working with such a varied group of community organisations or individuals. So everything takes time to get it right. And so I think challenges possibly were around time and making sure that the people that are consulted with are valued. So there's a lot of back and forth and that takes time as well, but it's the right thing to do. So for me, time is a challenge. What wasn't a challenge was the amount of people that wanted to engage in it. And I think that really plays to the strengths of what Right to the Streets is achieving. You've kind of alluded to, I suppose, what people might describe as our sort of theory of change. If more people see more people walking and wheeling and cycling on our streets, you made the point, Louise, that then they're more likely to feel like that's a safe thing and it's a place that they, it's something they want to do as well, then we're going to create more of a groundswell of activity and that will create this kind of circular effect of more people we'll see more people like them who will then be inspired and motivated and have the opportunity to get out and do more and our places become in your word activated <laughs> so is there if anybody else goes okay that sounds great we want to do something similar where would you suggest they start starting point for me would very much be around bringing the community together And we've been really key in not being the doers. So we haven't done it. We haven't delivered it. We haven't taken charge of it. What we've done is enable the community, facilitate these changes. And that's where the longer term impacts going to be. So that would be my suggestion 
consult, value those you consult with and push your own agenda to one side and really work with what they ask for. So where next then? What would you like to see happen now? I would like to see people coming to us saying, hey, I've heard about this new walking group. I've got involved with that. I have used the maps. Um, I've been volunteered at the Seymour Park School Streets and I heard about it through Right to the Streets. And I think that is likely because there is momentum throughout the last 12 months of the work. We have had people coming aware of the work, wanting, asking us how to get involved and how they can take the learning. There was somebody on the sharing session the other day who said, I've come because I want to hear about how I might do this in Tameside. So I'm confident that 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 can happen. That's at part level. Hopefully the community element through the work being embedded through Trafford Community Collective and through the community organisations that they connect with, hopefully we can continue the messages of right to the streets using those principles Philippa referred to, but also the themes that we explored. Hold on, women and girls need to have their views listened to, understood, appreciate that there is a gendered perspective on our spaces and places and therefore how women use and access opportunities. So that sort of undercurrent, if you like, of thinking needs to be taken forward and that would welcome that as an outcome. Sounds good. I think it would be great to hear in the future that other people have taken the opportunity to develop their own routes, that the people are talking about right to the streets in a positive way, or maybe even people aren't talking about right to the streets, but it's actually just happening and it's just how things are. And that has been the catalyst for change. So maybe in the shorter term, it might have right to the streets sort of identity but over time let's just hope it comes part and parcel integral to what people do as part of their everyday lives and that for me would be the lasting legacy and generationally the children who are ditching their stabilizers are they going to be our future root designers and do the same with their own children so I'm looking very long term. Wow I love it. I've got a real vision now and it looks wonderful. Lots of people out on the streets, walking, wheeling and cycling, playing on the way and having the joy of the journey. And just as Philippa said, it really doesn't matter if they've never heard of Right to the Streets. What matters is that they feel and experience their sense of a right to the streets. I really hope this work can be a catalyst to enable this to happen for more people more of the time. So that's it for this episode. A big thanks for listening. I hope you found it as interesting as I did. I've certainly been left reflecting on all the ways in which our own personal biases and experiences potentially influence the way we navigate our streets and our faces and the impact that can have for those who are working in this field, who are designing our maps, designing our wayfinding and how we can ensure that we're designing those in a way that are going to work for everybody. Lots of good learning here that we can apply to the future development of the Bee Network app in Greater Manchester and also our wayfinding across the Bee Network. My mum, fully enough, started off her first career as a cartographer for Ordnance Survey and my partner has worked for a long time in, in online mapping for SatNavs and for like some multi-map and etc. So it's interesting to reflect on how their different experiences as two people I know very well have probably influenced what they do and how they've mapped our local places and spaces. 
Anyway, enough about that. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. As you know, this and the whole of the Right Streets project is just the start of the conversation. So we'd love to hear from you. What are your experiences? Tell us about your mum. How does she like to get about? How do you like to get about? What's the difference? Why don't you have that conversation with her? We'd love to know anything here that you found particularly of interest or relevance and anything you'd like to see happen differently going ahead. Whatever your thoughts, let us know and we'll share them on future episodes of this podcast. We've got a few ways you can get in touch. You can tell us on social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Simply search GM Moving. And finally, a big thanks to everyone who has contributed to this brilliant episode. This Right to the Street series of the GM Moving podcast is just one element of the Right to the Streets initiative, led by Greater Manchester Moving, Trafford Council, Open Data Manchester and other GM Moving partners. With thanks to funding from the Home Office, that supported this work through the Safer Streets Fund. This series is a Mike Media production.